Sylvia County, New York is home to two of the largest foie gras producers in America, LaBelle Farms and Hudson Valley Foie Gras. Together, these farms employ over 400 farm workers and are the largest buyers of farm goods and heating in the county. However, in 2019, the New York City Council voted 42 to 6 to ban the sale of forest-fed poultry, such as foie gras, citing the process as inhumane. A majority of New York City Council members signed on to a... And in another big move, foie gras is coming off the menu at New York City restaurants. The City Council voting to ban the uh, sale the of the French gourmet delicacy foie gras can remain on New York City menus after a ruling from the State Department... Foie gras, French for fat liver, is created by feeding the mallard duck, a combination of a pecan and muscovy duck, multiple times during a specific part of the life cycle of the duck, which causes the liver to fatten. Radio Casca was invited to visit Hudson Valley Foie Gras to talk and see the production of the product firsthand. When I arrived on the farm in Farndale, New York, I was greeted by a farm well underway in production. Forklifts were driving around, moving wooden pallets from one location to another. It was even hard to find parking with so many cars. There were so many double-wide trailers sprinkled throughout the farm. I come to find out that's where all the farm workers lived. More on that later. Not really knowing where to go, I figured the large wooden barn that looks like it had an office door might be the best place to start. I was there to meet Marcus Hanley, Vice President of the Hudson Valley Foie Gras, to talk about the lawsuit and the battle to keep the farms alive. Hey, Patricio. Hey, Marcus. Uh, I'm here at the farm. I, I just don't know where to go. I'm in one of the, the buildings. Where are you? Following the passage of a local law in 2019 by New York City to ban the sale of the product within the city limits, an injunction was placed on the law by the New York Supreme Court. This allowed the New York Department of Agriculture and Markets to review the local law. The New York Department of Agriculture and Markets ultimately said that the local law unreasonably restricts the duck farms in Sullivan County from operating, thus allowing the sale to continue. In 2023, New York City is continuing the fight and suing the state over that decision. In a Supreme Court filing, New York City said in a Supreme Court filing, its decision values animal welfare over a luxury food item that requires force feeding of birds. The New York City lawsuit says the process of creating foie gras leads to bruising, lesions, and preparation of the esophagus. I spoke to Marcus Hanley, Vice President of Hudson Valley Foie Gras in Ferndale at one of the main farms in the Hudson Valley about just that. If he thinks the process is harmful to his ducks, he says no. The physiology of a duck is different from the physiology of people. So putting a tube in the esophagus of a duck is not, uh, is not harmful. Now, there's a perception that a smaller tube, and uh, so uh, we too use um, a, a smaller feeding tube that seems to me very not objectionable visually, but uh, what we were doing previously was not harmful to the ducks either. We've changed our genetics, we've shortened our feeding programs, all of those things that we do are beneficial to uh, the raising of the animals and also have an economic benefit. And 
So have we changed our process? Yes. Have we changed it because what we were doing was was not acceptable agri animal agriculture? No. Hanley says if the ban were to hold, his farm would lose a large portion of its sales. New York City accounts for about 25% of its total sales. Our sales are um, uh, of uh, foreground duck products would be $35 million a year, and about a quarter of that would come from New York City. So, uh, you know, a little less than $10 million for our company, and that's very significant. While we do, it, it's like we're not a small company. We have uh, 325 people working uh, between here and, and, and Bethel, but, but that's a significant part of, of our business. You can say, well, you just cut out 25% of your costs, but you can't cut out 25% of your overhead costs. So if we sell for a certain level, our taxes are the same. Uh, our property taxes, real estate, uh, the maintenance of the infrastructure, it doesn't change. So we can cut out some of our direct costs. We won't place as many ducks. We won't have as many people, but uh, it's still very risky because of the uh, the overhead. Eventually, uh, you get to a point, and it's difficult to be profitable in, in New York State as it is, but when you take that big a bite out, you're risking the company. So um, it, would be, it would be a difficult situation. What do animal rights activists say about this process? Animal rights activists consider foie gras production inhumane, but the American Veterinary Medical Association stated in 2014 that force-feeding ducks is possible and that the extent of their discomfort is unclear. However, the AVMA also mentioned that capturing and restraining ducks is stressful and feeding tubes pose injury risks. Voters for animal rights support the New York City's ban on foie gras, calling it a cruel product from tortured animals. Voters for Animal Rights is an organization that helps elect candidates who support animal protection. Brian Pease, an attorney for the Voters for Animal Rights, say yes, the ducks do feel pain. Ducks do have a gag reflex. They have uh, their esophagus is just as soft and susceptible to injury as a human's. Yes, they can they can expand. They can swallow you know large fish and things like that. But that's different than having um, a, a, a long and flexible pipe just jammed down your throat. And it does cause scarring. It does cause injury. Um, and it is painful for the ducks. Brian also says the decision from the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets is an extreme power grab. They are attempting to enforce a, a very extreme reading of the agriculture and markets law, which, which allows them to review local laws within agricultural districts. So the, the farms are within agricultural districts. And if the local jurisdiction there had passed some law that would impact the farms, NYSTAM, this agency, would be able to review those laws. But they are claiming that they can review any law anywhere in the state that could impact a farm somewhere else, and that that enables them to essentially strike down laws that local jurisdictions like the city of New York pass. So hopefully the courts won't go along with this, this power grab. It's, a, it's an extreme thing that our, our governor uh, in New York State and, and the attorney general are allowing NYSTAM to try to get away with, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to stop them. But local jurisdictions need to be able to retain the ability to pass local laws to protect their local public health, safety, morals, and general welfare of the people of their, of their cities. 
And according to Ali Taylor, president for Voters for Animal Rights, that support for the ban was overwhelming. 81% of New York City voters supported this ban on foie gras. This was not something that was a fringe issue. This is something that the overwhelming majority of not only New York City residents, but the city council as well supported. The debate over foie gras production raises broader questions about the treatment of animals in the food industry and the treatment of farm workers. Animal rights activists argue that the use of animals for food, clothing, and other purposes is inherently exploitive and unethical. Hanley says if this ban goes into effect, it will significantly impact not only the farm workers, but the local economy if the farms were to shut down. If you say you can't sell something that's the product of force feeding, well, how do you separate that out of the the pet food? How do you separate that out of clothing? How do you, so that the, the economic consequences of this kind of ban are much greater than um, than than what if you lose that twenty five percent of your business? Okay, that's great. But then if the pet food people say, well, you know, uh, we can't take a chance that some of the duck bones that we used are going to be in pet products that are sold in New York City. So then you lose another section of business. It's it's just it's just not these things are not well thought through and also have no basis uh, because we don't mistreat the animals. And what about that? What do animal rights activists say if the farms have to close down due to the ban that there will be a negative impact to the local economy? Here's Ali and Brian from Voters for Animal Rights. If they have to lay off workers, it's because they have not evolved their businesses to be a sustainable business that can continue to exist, and that's on them. Um, every business has to make changes, right? It's the year 2023. We see this happening all the time. We saw this happening in technology industries. We see this happening in uh, food industries across the country. It is up to the owners of the business to make sure that they are constantly innovating and finding new ways to retrain their workers and to generate new sources of revenue that aren't entirely dependent on abusing animals. The local law 202, the, the New York City Fogger sales ban, is that is focused on the impact in the city of New York where people not wanting to be exposed to the sale of, of a product of extreme animal cruelty. New York City is perfectly entitled to make that determination for, for its local jurisdiction. As far as um, any indirect economic effects in Sullivan County, uh, no one is saying, first of all, the, the local law in New York City doesn't regulate or say anything about what the, what the farms can do in Sullivan County. They can continue doing what they're doing. They can find other markets. No one's saying they can't run an ordinary duck farm either. Um, it's just that if they want to sell their products in the city of New York, they would need to not force feed those ducks. As far as the the workers that they're claiming that they would need to lay off, uh, th that's they seem to be referring to the, the workers that actually do the force feeding, which is one of the worst jobs imaginable. It's they're abusing migrant labor that they, they bring in and deceive. There have been class action lawsuits about this. There have been op-eds in the New York Times exposing them over, over the years and, and calling on legislators to do something about the abuse of the, the workers there. Um, but, you know, during COVID, when there were restaurants uh, not not open, um, they certainly, they have no problem scaling up or scaling down the number of migrant workers that they 
abuse and exploit and and have come work on, on these farms as as needed. And when the workers have tried to mobilize, they have simply fired they, they fire them at will anyway, even if you know just because they try to stand up for their own rights. And there was a situation several years ago where um, they did fire all Hudson Valley foie gras fired all the workers because they tried to organize and then uh, and they were just there stuck there in the middle of nowhere with nothing, nowhere to go. And a local church had to take them into their basement. And I can refer you to a YouTube video where uh, a former state New York State senator went there and 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 heard and had this told to him by some of the the, the people there. So it's it's um, yeah they do they do not care about these workers. This is all about the only thing this is about is these farms wanting to make more profits by being able to sell an immoral product in the city of New York, which the city of New York is deemed to be offensive to public morals, health, and safety and general welfare of the people of the city of New York. Since I spoke to the voters for animal rights after visiting the farm, I had to contact Marcus regarding the allegations of migrant worker abuse. This is what he said. <laughs> so these are the people that say we mistreat our animals also, right? Yeah. As I recall, there were, uh, and again, before my time, over 20 years ago, maybe a misunderstanding of the work rules in terms of uh, overtime pay or minimum wage that was uh, people were paid appropriately on a monthly basis, but not on a weekly basis, uh, which is required by New York state law. Again, this is before my time and I'm not, uh, I don't have details. What about now? The animal rights activists are saying that this is happening now, the mistreatment of the farm workers is happening now. Well, Patricia, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to come and talk to our people. I mean, that's just simply ridiculous. And New York State has very robust worker protections. There are not-for-profit advocacy groups that are resources for the workers. We even invite from time to time the Department of Labor to set up a, a table when we're doing like a, an immunization clinic. You know, we try to provide in all of the postings in English and Spanish that provide hotline numbers for the workers who have uh, wage disputes, sexual discrimination issues, all of things are, oh, those things are posted by the time clock. I mean, to say that uh, uh, the workers are, are deceived and mistreated is disgusting. But you understand, uh, Patricia, that these people have, from the very beginning of this, believed that the ends justify the means. They've misrepresented the farm, uh, the farming practice, and the, the, the hearing which you attended was just a litany of uh, of lies and misrepresentation. I also had the opportunity to speak to Sergio Cervera, the president of LaBelle Farms, which is the other foie gras farm located in Sullivan County. Both farms have come together to oppose the ban. I asked him about the allegations of migrant worker abuse at his farm. Yeah, no, it, it, uh, it couldn't be farther from the truth. How we treat our workers, and uh, the reality of it is, as I stated down in New York City, that for LaBelle, we are those workers. You know, we came the same way they come. We were looking for the same opportunity. And these people have been working with us for 30 plus years. And we're on third generation. To say that we mistreat our workers, it couldn't be farther from right. the truth. Hector and his brothers were once migrant workers themselves, employed on a chicken farm after immigrating to America. They eventually struck out on their own and expanded to foie gras production. 
According to Hector, they often provide housing and support a path to citizenship for many of the workers they employ. Why? Why? Why would we want to hurt anybody that you know? This is what gets me even more. Like, okay, there's bad immigrants. Obviously, like there's bad. There's a bad in every aspect in every respect of life. But when you have hardworking farmers that only want to work, we go out of our way to help them because that's how we came. That's what we know how to do. And if you need help legal work, you need help with anything. Like some of them are afraid to go to do the driver's test to get the license to the language because of whatever, because they don't, they, they're not comfortable reading and writing, whatever the reason may be. And you have my sister sitting there with them, going over all the questions, taking them to DMV, helping them. And the level of uh, like literacy is also not, you know, it's not great. And that's why they're not in a position, like if they close the farm because of this, to get jobs elsewhere. It's very difficult for them. So it's the complete, it's like that is, <laughs> could not be farther from reality in our case. Hanley invited me to view where the ducks live and how they are slaughtered. Now this is where the chicks are or? Yes, we have in this one area, we have the youngest and the oldest. So uh, when the babies come in, these have been here for a week. Uh, we have new babies coming tomorrow. And we have a careful record of uh, we have mortality um, so that we can we know what is normal. We usually lose about 1%, just it's, you know, that first week where uh, you have like infant mortality. And so we record each day uh, any mortality. And if we see a spike, then we'll uh, find veterinary assistance and testing to make sure that we don't have avian influence. Marcus Hanley opens a large wooden door that houses all the ducklings. The wooden barn where the ducklings are housed is large, with the smell of corn feed lingering in the air and the sound of fans distributing warm air throughout the barns. In this one barn, over 12,000 ducklings are housed, and they arrive at the farm at only one day old. They are placed in different sections of the barn where the temperature is controlled to 95 degrees on the ground. We keep them separated by age all the way through the process because it's important uh, because their needs are different at, at, at each as they age. Uh, you know, these need more heat than the ones across the room that are two weeks older. So we're careful to keep them separated. The farm tries to mimic what a duckling would need in the early stages of its life. For the first week, we provide those water drinkers on the floor and, and it's a shiny liquid and they look at that and with the seeking behavior, they're gonna stick their, they're gonna stick their beaks in and it's like, oh, this is nice. And, uh, and they learn to drink. And then as we go through the week, those lines are called nipple drinkers. And there's a little nipple and is this, it's held down with a spring, a, a very uh, loose spring. And so there'll be a bead of water and they'll go and they'll peck at the bead of water, which pushes up this, the, the spring and water fills their mouth. So instead of a common basin, which is not 
as sanitary as we would like. The ones that are two weeks old, they don't have the drinkers anymore. They're, they're strictly drinking from the nipple drinkers. So it's very sanitary. Uh, it's the way that poultry is raised and it helps across the, 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 the poultry industry, chickens especially, uh, to keep mortality low and our prices low. The ducklings are in the nursery for about four weeks and then they are moved to another barn and they stay there until they are ready to begin the force feeding process just after eight weeks. The growing barn is another large wooden barn where I saw hundreds of ducks in various stages of growth. It was a sea of ducks. And these ducks are not like the ones you see at your local pond. These are large, almost goose-like in appearance. The barn appears much like the other barn, large, dusty, but with the smell of feed lingering in the air. Area is currently experiencing an avian flu outbreak, which limits who can be in contact with the ducks. And this is done to limit the exposure to the avian flu. There are some things that we do to, to help keep them strong and healthy. Uh, we have the feed on one side and the water on the other, so they have to walk back and forth. We have an incline ramp that helps keep them uh, strong and healthy. And we have the caretakers that are here uh, taking care of, uh, making sure that the litter is, is dry, the waters are working well, and, uh, and you know, a nice barn, natural light. That we actually, even on the uh, coldest days, we don't have to add heat to the barn. Really? Because you have, you'll have about 5,000 ducks in this building or on this floor, and they uh, uh, generate enough heat, uh, body heat, that um, it, it's a, there's always a little bit of uh, uh, management of the ventilation. Because as you say, here, you don't have much of an odor. Um, you, you have, uh, because we've separated the water from the wood shavings and the droppings, you don't have that chemical reaction that creates ammonia. So here we have good air. Hanley points out how the ducks are not running away from us. And that's because the farm workers are around them all day. He said that's an important factor in the next stage of the process where 11 ducks are put into a 24-foot enclosure to begin its force-feeding process for the next 21 days, and the farm worker has to climb into the cage. The ducks are fed every eight hours for about three hours, and a farm worker has to perform that within a 24-hour period. The, the people who feed the ducks are assigned a group of ducks, and they're gonna carry those ducks all the way through the 21 days. So, so the ducks become accustomed to uh, an individual and the individual knows uh, the ducks. We have uh, assessments uh, that where we, um, the, again, the physiology of a duck is that a duck, we're not forcing food into the stomach, we're putting it into the crop, which is a, a sack that has a capacity of about a liter at the base of the throat. And, so we're just dropping the food into the sack, and then, and then from there proceeds um, through the rest of the digestive system. Right below that is the gizzard, which is a hard muscular ball. We can't force anything past that. And after 21 days, they come to the processing plant, and uh, we do uh, the, the processing and the cutting of the birds. Hanley says that's the reason why many of the farm workers live right on the farm. We get back into Hanley's truck to drive over to the feeding barn 
And it's when I asked him about the trailer homes and how many workers live here at any one time. He said about 100 workers. So in the summer, we have a community garden program. And then we'll also plant uh, um, uh, an acre or two of pumpkins and sweet corn. And so, you know, we're here to work. But, uh, but you know, those, uh, uh, those opportunities to do something outside of work that makes you feel good and also provides nutritious uh, yeah. uh, food. Two soccer goals are set up between some of the houses where Hanley says some of the workers play after working on the farm. Hanley himself lived in one of the trailers when he made his way up from Arkansas to Ohio, then to New York. I lived in the first trailer 20 years ago uh, when I moved out here from a job in Ohio and my wife was still finishing school out there. And um, I really enjoyed being here and the sense of community uh, that we have. So you originally from Ohio? I'm from Arkansas. Oh wow! I've been a, I've been around a little bit. <laughs> It'd be interesting here. How'd you make your way up to New York? Well, you're just always, you know, chasing opportunities. Yeah. Was in chicken processing in a large plant in Georgia, and then I came to. Uh, I was the plant manager of a turkey processing operation uh, near Syracuse, and I was there for uh, about 11 years, and um, and I did some uh, consulting work uh, for the government regulations uh, for Hudson Valley at that time, and in 2001, um, they asked me to come and be the uh, manager of operations here. and. It's been really uh, a great, uh, um, a great opportunity and a lot of fun. Haley says the farm workers receive free medical services, with a free medical clinic that's offered to them, in collaboration with Christ Healthcare Ministries. Uh, Purpose-built uh, medical trailer, two exam rooms, uh, office and waiting room, and they have a biweekly uh, medical free medical clinic and. Uh, we uh, we're uh, proud of that, and, and is, is this for your workers and for other people in the community? It's not really? it's not okay. exclusive to our workers. When we enter the feeding barn, it's large like the other ones, but the major difference here it's damp and wet. Hanley says the water is from constantly cleaning the barns and washing the ducks. The feeding barn is laid out in three columns with rows and rows of 20-foot foot enclosures filled with ducks. A general cleanliness is contributory um, to, a, to a biosecurity program. So we're going to have someone wash the floors on a regular basis. Also, these are ducks and they like, uh, they like to be clean and uh, so a couple of times during the 21 days, we uh, give them a bath. And uh, these appear to have uh, just had, had a bath. And uh, not putting them, we're not putting them in a, in, a, in a basin of water. We'll come by and, uh, and spray them with water, and then they can preen. And it's very good. But it's... Hanley shows me the plastic tube that is used for force feeding 
It's about six inches long and is connected to a larger tube that leads to a large bucket of liquid feed, which is a mixture of corn and grains. We're using a very small and thin uh, tube, so it's inserted almost into the uh, uh, into the mouth of the duck rather than down the throat. Down the throat didn't matter, but if this is more uh, acceptable visually to people that come to the farm, then uh, then that's what we're doing. A flexible, very thin uh, tube. We also use a uh, liquid feed. Hanley said traditionally ducks were fed a harder grain but they found as the years went on, a liquid feed was much more gentler on the duck. But we found that by uh, using a liquid feed was even more uh, perfect and gentle. And that also uh, helped us in terms of uh, improving the health of the health of the animals. I mean, it was never a problem, but it's less of a problem now. So a liquid feed uh, with these very small uh, tubes. On this visit to Hudson Valley, I did not witness a feeding. I did visit another duck farm in Sullivan County a few years ago where I was able to see a feeding. That process is fast as the farm workers hold the duck between their legs and bring the duck's head up and place a tube down the throat and with a push of a button, the liquid feed goes down. The farm uses every piece of the duck except for the head and feet. The liver, of course, is made into foie gras and prepared in many different varieties. The meat is also packaged and sold, and the bones that are left over are used in dog food and various other products, according to Hanley. And the feathers? They are sold to make down feather products like pillows, blankets, and coats. This is the reason for concern. Industries that depend on the byproduct of the process of foie gras will be affected if the ban goes into effect. And in Sullivan County, the duck farms help other local farms with fertilizer, made from the droppings of the ducks. Hanley said with all this attention on foie gras, it has actually made farm life better for the ducks. This is one thing I can say about the animal rights activists, okay? Um, all of this attention, we have to live, or we have, avian influenza aside, but we live like we're going to have company to come and see what we do. And, um, and the animals are certainly better off for it. Uh, we keep the farm better and we take better care of the animals, I think, than uh, if we weren't expecting company every day. I mean, the, your visit here today, uh, I have every confidence in the farm and I don't, I called the guys this morning to ask them uh, where the different ages were and uh, but other than that we're the same every day and uh, one of the city council uh, uh, they were saying well if you if we come to the farm you're just going to show us uh, it, it's you're going to stage a tour and it's like come without telling us we're the same every day Alec Taylor, president for the Voters for Animal Rights, says she doesn't have to be there in person 
to know that this is wrong. Um, I don't need to see assault in person to know that assault is wrong. I don't need to see theft happen or have it happen to me to know that it's wrong and it's immoral. The city council operates the same way. They don't need to see awful immoral practices happening in front of their eyes to know that it's something that is unacceptable to New Yorkers. We head next door from the feeding barn to the slaughterhouse where I was able to witness the final stage of the processing. Around the corner, uh, we're bringing them off the truck around the corner and they go through the process. Uh, there's a, there's, it's called a water bath stunner and they're uh, passed through the stunner. They come in contact with uh, water with an electrical charge, which uh, puts them to sleep so that they don't experience uh, the, the cut. And then they're going to bleed for about three minutes, and then they go into a hot water uh, bath. After the hot water bath, the feathers are removed before being hung by its neck and left to chill until the next day. The next day, the ducks are further processed. We'll take the racks out and uh, and open them and take the uh, take the liver out, and then collect all of the other uh, parts and pieces. About 2,000 ducks can pass through the processing plant, and that number could increase depending on the holidays. Of course, we can work overtime on Saturdays if we need to, which we do uh, around Christmas. It's uh, our busiest time of the year. Uh, Valentine's is coming up. It's another popular uh, time to go out to restaurants and have something special. So Valentine's is usually pretty good. Mother's Day, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Wow. But it's good to, to uh, enjoy foie gras all year round. The battle goes on as Hanley fights to keep his business open and sell his duck liver product. Meanwhile, the city of New York and animal rights activists are working to put an end to the sale of foie gras. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Roballo.